Well, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. We'll have the scripture on the screens for you today so you can read along as well. But today we are continuing our summer series through the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is really an ancient songbook that really helps us express and verbalize our thoughts and our feelings that we may have about God or about ourselves or about the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So my encouragement to you is this, if, if you're struggling in your prayer life, or maybe you're even struggling with just the kinds of thoughts that you have about God or about yourself or about this world, you find trouble expressing those feelings, and the Psalms are for you. They really are. These songs can actually help teach us how to turn our thoughts into words and into prayers. So we're going to continue that uh, effort today as we look at Psalm chapter 8. But before we do, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word as we receive it. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you that we get to be here today, Lord, to gather as your people. So Lord, would you speak to our hearts, transform who we are, help us, Lord, to be able to articulate and verbalize and express not just our thoughts, but your truth in the way that we pray, in the way that we praise you, in the way that we talk about you, in all these ways. Would you get glory through this today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, from a very early age, we are all conditioned to try to find our place in this world. So even just when you're a little baby or a toddler walking around your house, you're trying to discover where you belong and how you fit in and what your purpose really is. So from those first few years, we are trying to learn how we fit into the dynamic of our own family. But then as we begin to progress through elementary school and middle school and all these things, as we're growing up, we're trying to find our position on the baseball team. Or maybe we're trying to find which instrument and what chair will be in the school orchestra. There's all these pathways and things where we're trying to find our place. Where do we belong? Where do I fit in? What position should I be in? And then we become an adult, and this becomes even trickier, doesn't it? This endeavor to find how we fit into the bigger picture of society. So we seek, so we seek certain jobs and careers and titles. We look for particular social circles to fit into and belong to. You see, we all essentially crave that assurance. We want to know that we belong somewhere. We want to know that our lives and the work that we do and the things that we do and the way that we spend our time, we want to know that our lives are purposeful, that we are contributing to, in some way to making this world a better place or our lives at least better, our family better. Well, Psalm 8 speaks to this very desire that we all share. So what I'd like for us to do today is to use this song written by David to see not, not only how we fit into our role in God's earth and the world, but ultimately our role in his story, the story of God. Where do we fit? Where do we belong in that? So I'd like for us to read Psalm chapter 8 in its entirety. It's only nine verses. So would you look along with me as I read Psalm 8, beginning in verse 1. David says, O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think there's three truths here that we must understand today if we are to be assured that we have a place in this world, that we fit into God's story. I think Psalm 8 might surprise you as to how great it explains that, how we can understand how do we fit into God's story. So the first thing I want us to see today is this. Number one, God designed us to represent him. That is inherent in our nature. We are designed by God to represent him. Now, you know, there have really been some incredible inventions over the course of human history, particularly in the modern age. You know, think of the light bulb by Thomas Edison, right? Or the airplane by the Wright brothers. Or the internet by Al Gore, right? I mean, it's just... Incredible, just really amazing, <laughs> amazing human achievements, right? And, but hey, to be fair, it, it's really hard, right? It's really hard to invent something new. I mean, seriously, I thought, I really did, you can ask my wife, Christy, I thought that I had invented this parking app. I didn't actually design the app, it was all in my head, right? But I had thought that I'd invented this, this app where you could uh, prepay for a, a, a reserved parking space and, and you just pull up and it's all self-serve and you don't have to talk to anybody or anything. And then we're driving up through the town center one day shopping and I see, oh, it already exists. Okay, well, whatever. So I'm working on other inventions. I'll keep you updated and let you know how it goes. But for those who have, for those who have invented something, if you get a patent for it, guess what? It's yours. It belongs to you. And so therefore, you get to decide its purpose. You get to decide how it functions. Well, guess what? David tells us in verse 1 that the universe is God's invention. He created it with intentionality, which means that the universe has an inherent purpose and function to it. What is that? Look at verse 1 again. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So the purpose, the purpose of the universe is to proclaim the name and the glory of God. That's it. David actually uses the personal name for God here, which is why, uh, at least in the ESV translation, the first Lord there is in all caps. That represents the personal name of God. That's telling us that God's design is his. He has stamped his name all over it. It belongs to him. So the universe was created to proclaim its maker. 
God's glory. Declare his name. But that begs the question, doesn't it? How do you fit into that? How do we fit into that? Do we fit? Do we even fit at all into the meaning and purpose of this declaration of God's name throughout the whole universe? In 1990, NASA's Voyager 1 space probe had traveled about 3.7 billion miles away from the Earth when it turned its cameras around facing back towards Earth and took this picture. This is really incredible. <laughs> now, do you see yourselves? That's us, right? That, there we are. It's the greatest selfie of all time right here. That's it, right? Even if your eyes were closed, it's okay. So, believe it or not, in that tiny, within that tiny little red circle, you probably can barely, barely see it, is the planet Earth from 3.7 billion miles away. Now when you think of when you think of how big the universe is and you begin to see how big God really is doesn't that doesn't that kind of make you feel pretty insignificant <laughs> right I mean look at that that's that's us there we are just a speck You see David David had these th- these same thoughts he had these these same feelings of insignificance, yet he also knew something amazing about our creator God. Look what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You know, you can imagine David, of course, who once was a shepherd, right, looking up into the night sky with no light pollution or anything, right, like we have here in the city, but just looking up and seeing so many stars everywhere and thinking, God, you are so great. Why do you care about me? Get this. David says not only does God care for us as his creation, he has created us, humans, in a special way, with a special purpose that is unique compared to all the rest of the creation compared to the animal kingdom and the ocean and the mountains and everything else that really amazes us. No, God says humanity is unique. Look how David puts it in verse 5 and 6. He says that you have made him, us, humans, a little lower than the heavenly beings and what? Crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, he says. So if you're familiar with the Bible, then you would know that this should sound Familiar. We've seen something similar to this language before. That's because David is actually referencing Genesis 1. So if you look at Genesis 1, where God created the first humans, and essentially he gives them a job description. So, so look at this. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. The beginning of time. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, now I'm going to say something that is a pretty, this is a pretty extreme statement. Okay, so I know y'all are listening now, right? We, We love extreme statements. Here we go. Ready? The key, the key to understanding your place in the world, the key to understanding the purpose of your life is to understand 
Genesis 1 and Psalm 8. No kidding. Because here, in Genesis 1 and, as we will see in Psalm 8, we see the design, the purpose, and the function of humanity. Every human is created in the image of God. That means that every single one of us in this room, we have the capability. We have the capability, the capacity to reflect the very character of God himself. In other words, we can mirror as the moon mirrors the image, the light of the sun. We can mirror the image of God in the way that we love, in the way that we treat others through goodness. It's his love and his goodness that we can actually image So inherent to that design then, we find our purpose, we find our function. In other words, you are an image bearer of God by definition, just by being human. So it is every human's job then to do what? To reflect the character of God in this world. To fill the earth. To have dominion over the earth while expressing the love and the character of God in all that we do. It is humanity's job to represent God. That's it. That is our meaning and purpose, is to represent God. By doing what? By building societies that worship and love Him. By loving our neighbors as ourselves. By filling the earth with His glory as His representatives. That really is humanity's purpose as a whole. And in your own context, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you spend your time, guess what? That's your purpose there as well, specifically for you. But then the question becomes, so how are we doing with that? How is humanity doing at creating and building societies that love and know and worship God, but treat others as we would want to be treated, that shows and reflects the character and love and grace of God? How are we doing with that? You don't have to answer out loud, I know. Well, that brings us to the second point. We must understand, right? If we are going to know how we fit into God's own story, well, the second truth we have to acknowledge and admit is that the problem is we try to put ourselves in the place of God. So we were created, I mean, just how backwards is this, right? We were created to represent Him, yet now we want to put ourselves in His place. We were created to know and love our creator, our maker, and and represent his love and his goodness. He set us up to thrive. He gave us the capacity to do this. You would think we would be happy and content with that plan. But if you look at verse 2 again, we skipped it just a second ago intentionally. Look at this. It tells us that there are foes of God. There are enemies of God. But who are these foes? Who are these enemies of God that David speaks of? Well, David may have had one of he may have had one of Israel's geopolitical enemies in mind in some regard, but he also knew that all humans are enemies of God left to ourselves due to our own choosing. You see, After God created the first humans, Adam and Eve, our first father, our first mother, he put them in a beautiful garden. 
He put them in a beautiful garden so that they could begin to achieve exactly what he set them out to do. Humanity's purpose. Created in his image. Representing him on the earth. Working to build a God-honoring civilization. That was what they were commanded to do. He gave them everything they could ever need. He gave them everything they could ever want. He set them up to thrive. He set them up for success. But what was the problem? You see, Adam and Eve were not content. They were not content with God being their authority. They wanted to answer to no one but themselves. They wanted to be their own authority. They wanted to put themselves in the place of God. If you look at Genesis 3, it only took two chapters from Genesis 1, I should say. Three chapters total into the Bible for everything to go awry. Verses 4 and 5 speaks of this problem and how it happened. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And what? You will be like God. Knowing good and evil. See, that is the fundamental problem of all mankind. That's the lie that we believe from Satan himself. That we can be our own God. And we love that idea, don't we? We love this idea of us ruling our lives. Of us having to answer to no one except ourselves. For us charting our own course without any answering any obligation to submit to any higher authority. That sounds to many of us like a dream. Like a beautiful way of living. But that's the lie that they believed. They wanted to be like God. Essentially, they wanted to be God. A God of their own making. You know, sometimes my kids will put my shoes on. And they'll just stumble around the house saying, Look, I'm Dada. Look, I'm Dada. And it's cute. It's funny, right? But it's only cute and funny because at the end of the day, we all know that those shoes aren't actually going to turn them into me, right? They know their place in our house. But what's not cute, what's not funny, is when we try to feel God's shoes, so to speak, by living and pretending to be Him. As if we are Him. By really trying to acquire and reach on to attributes and qualities and characteristics of Him that are exclusively for Him. So one of the best explanations to help us understand, one of the best explanations I've ever read about this is from... Uh, Jen Wilkin in her book, None Like Him. She says that we desire to be like God by reaching for those attributes that are only true of God. So in other words, some of God's characteristics we are designed to reflect, right? Some of God's characteristics we, we should reflect. So his love, his forgiveness, uh, he's a just God. We should seek justice in the world. But, but other attributes of him are exclusive to him and we should not reach and grasp for. So Wilkins says that rather than worshiping and trusting a perfect God who is infinite in all his attributes, we want to steal some of those for ourselves that are reserved for him. So for example, right, God is all-powerful. Right? God is all-powerful. That means he is limitless. In his power. He has infinite control and power over the universe. There is not a molecule in this universe that is out of his reach or his control. But what do we want to do? Just like Eve and just like Adam, we want to be like God. 
You see, this really plays out into our practical lives. How much time do you spend wanting to be in control? We go crazy sometimes when we think that our lives are out of control or that we don't have a grasp on every little thing, every little detail. Our God is all-knowing. He's an all-knowing God. There's nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that he cannot see. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought you've already had when you've walked in this room today. God knows all things, but yet, like Adam and Eve, what do we do? We reach. We reach for that characteristic. You see, we want to know. We have to be in the know, right? If we hear, some of you guys might walk out of here today, and before you even get out of the building, you're going to hear two other people gossiping about somebody else, and you're going to be like, oh, what's going on? Just kidding. Y'all wouldn't do that. But here's the thing. We do, right? We want to know. We want to know all things. We want to know every little detail so that we can protect ourselves from any kind of possible discomfort in our lives. The control and the knowledge we seek leads us to all kinds of fears and anxieties when things don't go our way. Because when tragedy or problems come into our lives, what do we do? We realize, oh my goodness, I'm not in control. We start to see that it's a disillusionment to begin with. It's a lie that we believe that if we can answer to ourselves, if we can be our own God, everything will be all right. No wonder our lives feel like they're upside down so often. No wonder so many of our decisions are driven by our fears and our anxieties. I came across Isaiah 29 earlier this week, and I just thought this verse spoke so truly to what we're talking about today. Isaiah said, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing may should, made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? We turn our worlds upside down by trying to be like God. That's the whole irony in it. The more we try to control our situations and the more we try to seek to know every little thing, the less control we actually have. But you see, though, in the way this relates to us and God, this is a rebellion. It's a rebellion that we're all part of. And this sinful betrayal has put us all at odds with God. It has led us to be separated from God. I know it's hard to take in, but we have all failed at our meaning and our purpose for this life. We've all failed to represent God. But there's something else to see here in Psalm 8. The third thing we must understand is though we have failed to represent God, get this, God came to earth to represent us. Look at verse 2 again. David says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. That's us, right? To steal the enemy and the avenger, that's us. You see, long ago, God chose a family in this world to be his own, Abraham's family. And he took that family and he grew them into a nation called Israel. And guess what? Israel was supposed to be the representatives of God who would show the rest of the world what he is like. They were supposed to be God's children who would silence the enemy and the avenger. And the whole Old Testament tells that story. But they failed. They failed. They ended up succumbing to the same problem as Adam and Eve, trying to put themselves in the place of God. And they greatly suffered consequence of that in the Old Testament. But though his people failed, though God's people failed, guess what? That didn't mean that God was finished. 
Though we were created, all of us, to represent God, we turn things upside down by putting ourselves in his place. But the amazing news of the universe is this, that God is turning everything back right side up again because he came to earth to represent us by putting himself in our place on the cross. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews 2 articulates so well that Kyle read earlier for us in the, in the service, Hebrews 2, verses 6 through 9. Look with me on the screens. It says, it has been testified somewhere. The author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 8. Look at this. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. It sounds like maybe he's talking about someone a little greater, though, than just a normal human. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, who, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Do you see it? Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. He became an infant to silence the enemy and the avenger. And he could only do this because he is fully God and fully man. What a beautiful plan that God had all along to rescue humanity, to redeem us. That the divine God would also become fully man and do what only he could do. He is the son of God, yet he's also the son of man. He is the image of the invisible God, yet he is also a lowly servant from Nazareth. He takes his rightful place on his throne in heaven, yet he also took your place on a wooden cross outside Jerusalem. You see, if this is true, if all this is true, and maybe you walked in here today not sure, and that's okay, I understand. Maybe, maybe you have serious questions. Maybe you have serious doubts. Is this really true? What are we doing here? What is the meaning and purpose of my life? We have had these questions, all of us in our lives, but if this is true, if Jesus Christ got out of that tomb, if he rose from the grave and his, his life has been credited to your account by your repentance of sin and trusting him by faith in his name and his work alone, then if that is true, listen to this, all the meaning and the purpose you could ever hope for is yours. You can know. You can know your place in this world. You can embrace God's purpose for your life. You don't have to be, you don't have to be his rebellious enemy anymore. You can be a friend of God. You know, most likely there are two types of people here today searching for meaning and purpose in two different ways. And I think we, I think we all sway back, sway back and forth between these two, these two endeavors ourselves. But for some of you, Maybe, maybe you came here today feeling like a small speck. Just a small speck in the universe. And the truth is, maybe you do feel pretty down about yourself and you feel very insignificant. 
How could God love me? He doesn't know all the things that I've done. Maybe he doesn't know where I've been or who I've been hanging out with. For some of us, these are the thoughts we're having. These are the feelings we are feeling. It's, it's this feeling of insignificance. And you wonder if there, if there really is a God out there who would care for you. But what you need to hear and understand today from Psalm 8, from Genesis 1, from Hebrews 2, from the Word of God, is that no matter who you are, no matter who you are or what you've done or where you are in life right now, you were made in the image of God. He knew you by name as he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are known. You are loved by him. The answer to the significance that you desire, it's found in Christ Jesus alone. You are known and loved. You are crowned with honor, the psalmist tells us. So of course, of course, your life has meaning. It has purpose. You can, you can now work for God. If you give your life to Christ, you can fulfill that purpose that he gave humanity. You can become a part of that. You can see how your story fits into his story. How your story is his story. You can work for his kingdom. You can submit to his rule on this earth because you're living in a place that already belongs to him. So you can walk about in freedom knowing that this all belongs to God. So how can I help today? How can I help others learn that, know that, love him, know him? You can be a good steward of the life you already have. You can be content with the life you have. You can serve your maker and point others to do the same. And what a privilege that is that we get to take part in that. But I think for others of us, maybe, maybe you came in here today feeling a little too significant. <laughs> maybe a little too prideful. Maybe you are living as if you are the creator of your life, the creator of all things around you. And the truth is, it's a facade that you wear, but deep down, and you would never tell people this, it's wearing you out. Because you can't keep up. You're trying to control every little thing in your life, every relationship that you're trying to manipulate, every single situation that you're trying to make better for yourself, it's wearing you out. You're tired, you're exhausted of living that way. We feel so significant, too significant, that maybe God has just been put on the back burner or perhaps you've tried to assert yourself above him just as Adam and Eve did. You want to be like him in all the wrong ways. But what's the answer for you? If you've, turned your, if you've turned your world upside down in that way, trust God. Trust Him to handle these things as only He can. Turn from this sinful rebellion and ask God to forgive you. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have been acting as if I am you. That I have tried to put my place in your place. That I've tried to call the shots and that I just don't trust you. Listen, God will forgive that as well. Just the confession that you don't trust him or you're not trusting him currently in whatever situation you're in. He will forgive you and he will help you through his word understand the path forward of trust and submission to him. You see, the answer, the answer to the significance you crave is also found in Christ Jesus who gave up the riches of heaven so that he could come down to this earth and rescue you from yourself and give you a kingdom that lasts forever. You know, we have work to do. We have work to do as God's people because we know how this story ends. And in fact, the story doesn't really end, does it? 
because the end is really just the beginning. The last verse in this song, and I love this. I love the structure of this song. In Psalm 8, verse 9 is the same as the beginning of verse 1. You see, the last verse in this song is the same as the first because the way God set the world singing in the beginning is the way that the world will sing again one day. One day, Jesus Christ will return, and guess what? He will put all things right side up. Everything will be made right. Everything and every person will be put in their proper place with the joys of his eternal kingdom that we cannot fathom. He will rule and reign. He will rule and he will reign and his name will be majestic in this whole world. And (laughs) there's going to be a civilization. The civilization that we were meant to create, God will create and we will belong to it on this earth and it will honor and glorify his name forever as we were always intended to do. And then together, what will we sing? I think we'll sing Psalm 8, verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of this new earth. Do you want to find your place? Do you want to know where your place is in this world? You're not alone. We all want to know that. But the only way to finding it is to submit to the one who created it all, the Lord of heaven and earth, who brings heaven and earth perfectly together in his name. You know, just like we did last week, we're going to close our service a little differently today. And each sermon in this series, Kyle and Emily are going to come out and and sing a song that correlates with the psalm that we're looking at each day. And instead instead of singing with them and standing like we usually do, I actually want us to do something a little different. Just like last week, I want you to remain seated. I want you to remain seated because... This is a time for God's word just to speak to you. Let God's word through this song speak to your heart as you digest and think about and meditate on the truths you've just heard. Perhaps maybe use this, maybe use this moment as a time to just confess. Confess where you have tried to reach, where you have tried to grab a hold of something that belongs only to God, the control, the knowledge, the power, What is it that you need to let go of? Who is it that you need to trust? Jesus Christ. Would you reflect on that? Before they come out, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us in this moment to truly worship him. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came to earth to do and fulfill exactly what we could not do. Lord, you came and lived the life we should have lived Lord, you came and died the death we should have died for the penalty of our sin. You paid it in full on the cross. And Jesus, he rose from the grave to show and to prove that we too one day by faith in you will reign with you forever in the place that was always intended to be, a new heaven, a new earth that glorifies your name forever. But Lord, in this meantime, in this in-between moment where we are on this earth following you, seeking to love you, but struggling with doubts and fears, struggling, Lord, with faith, struggling to believe 
Lord, may we confess. May we confess where we have failed to just look up at the night sky and say, Lord, you are great. How majestic is your name? Forgive me. Forgive me for trying to put my place, myself in your place, for reaching for things that only belong to you. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that though we could not faithfully represent you and perfectly represent you, that you came and perfectly represented us. So Lord, speak to our hearts now. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. When I look at your heavens, the moon and stars, you set in motion, oh God. I sing all glory and honor. What is man that you are mindful, the son of man that you would care for him? We sing all glory and honor, O Lord, our Lord. Oh, how awesome are your ways. How majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, may we see your kingdom come. Father, may your will be done in all the earth. All the earth you gave dominion to your children and you crowned them, O God. With glory and honor, so we'll sing of your name, live our lives for your greatness, O God. In your glory and honor, O Lord, our Lord, oh, how awesome are your ways, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, may we see your kingdom come, Father, may your will be done in all the earth. cries out, every knee bows, Jesus we crown you, O Lord our Lord. The earth is full of the glory of God, come make much of the name above all names, creation cries out, and Father, may your will be done. 
majestic is your name in all the earth.